Okay. I didn't. <laughs> yeah, that's 30 minutes wasted. All right, sorry, recorder. But anyway, okay, so the second reason then, here's the second reason. Um, well, let me back up to Exodus 17. Uh, and, and as far as the first reason, the Lord said unto Moses, remember he said, write this for a memorial in a book and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua, for I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. So he said it multiple times that he's going to deal with the, the, the Amalekites. And God is a God of promises and God always responds and always deals with his promises. And I know, you know, it, it, it's a long time from Exodus in Deuteronomy till we finally get to Esther, but he's dealing with Esther, he's dealing with that now because Esther knows what the Word of God says. And the second reason is her desire to be obedient to God's Word. Now, this is kind of morbid, but she says, I need to hang the ten sons of, of, of Haman. And uh, now, that's, that's a, there's a reason for that. It's not because she wants vengeance. It's not because she's morbid. It's not because she's... Uh, you know, just just weird. Um, she she is putting them on display as the uh, to, she's putting them as a public display of the power of the living God in contrast to open shame that the Amalekites were re, were presenting as resisting what God was actually trying to do. So it's a it's a display of God's power. God said they would be wiped out. This is the last of the line. Those ten those ten sons were the last of the line. Um, and so, so she's she's just she's following the word of God. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter twenty-one verse twenty-three declares that those who are hanged on a tree are cursed, because God had already cursed them. Now she's just displaying that truth and reminding everybody, God is in charge of this kingdom. You're not. And so. Um, Galatians, Paul writes in Galatians 3.13, he reminds us that anyone that hangeth on a tree is cursed. So there's an anticipation of what would be a struggle over the bodies being lifted up. That's what she's actually concerned about. She needs to follow through and execute what God said and do what God said, but she knows that when she tries to do that, there's going to be some resistance. And that's why another 300 died the next day. It was because they were, they were fighting against that resistance. So there's a total of 75,800 enemy killed, uh, and then, so that's the end of the battle. That's everything that's done. So the two days in Shushan, one day in the kingdom. And then we go from, starting in verse 16, we go from sorrow to joy, from mourning to a good day. Because we've turned everything from, from rebelliousness to, to a blessing. Uh, so there's a feasting and gladness, starting in verse 16. Mordecai issues another law that there will be a celebration in both the provinces uh, on the 14th day of Adar and in Shushan on the 15th day. So so the battle was the 13th. The main battle was the 13th. In the, in the, in the kingdom, throughout the provinces of the kingdom, they celebrate now on the 14th day of the 12th month. In Shushan, they celebrate on the 15th day of the, of the uh, 12th month. So it's a little bit different because of the two-day two battle in, in Shushan. And they named it Purim. And Purim is, a, is actually a, it's a mockery uh, of the word pure because that's what Haman used to decide when to do this. It was a pure, basically the lot. Uh, he chose a lot or a pure to, uh, to do that. So they call it Purim. Basically, it's, it's, it's almost as a mockery of what Haman was trying to get done. Um, and, uh, and, they, um, and so the pure is, uh, like I said, similar to the Jewish lot to make a decision. And so Purim has become a national holiday. It's not a religious holiday for the Jews. They still celebrate Purim today. 
Uh, I don't know exactly when it is on the calendar. I think it's in the spring, but I don't, I don't remember for sure. But they do celebrate Purim. And um, uh, it, it, like I said, it's not a religious holiday. There are seven religious holidays that Leviticus talks about. But this is this would be like celebrating Fourth of July. That type of thing. Because of victory, freedom. They got their... They got, they got out from under the bondage of of uh, Haman and his law, um, and so verse twenty two to twenty three talk about the effects of deliverance and the reasons for celebration. So there's a reason that we should celebrate things, and sometimes we we kind of lose lose track of this. But let me give you a few reasons why we should celebrate. Number one is rest. So we celebrate things like this because of rest, right? There's no more worry about the enemy who had lost their influence on the Jewish people. Rest is a good reason to celebrate. Uh, Matthew chapter 11, verse 29 says, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest for your souls. So rest is one reason. The second reason is sorrow turned to joy. You know, you want to just celebrate. Sorrow turned into joy. Uh, Psalm chapter 30 verse 11 Thou hast turned for me my mourning into dancing Thou hast put off my sackcloth and girded me with gladness So from mourning to a good day became It became a good day to celebrate Because of what is being celebrated So they started off mourning, right? The Jews up until for the whole year They're mourning They know what's coming They know they can't do anything about it They're mourning But God turned it to a good day he turned he turned what was going to be a rebellious this a death day into a good day. And then number number four is the giving of gifts. So they actually give gifts, kinda of, I don't want to say it's like Christmas, but you know, they, they do give gifts as a reminder that God gave life. And so to celebrate the greatest gift given the Jew to the Jew, which is protection and life from God. So just a reminder of, of that. Okay, and then and then there's this decree that is made by both Esther and Mordecai, uh, because of the effort Haman devised against the Jews, both Esther and Mordecai wanted to ensure that the remembrance of this event would not go to honor him. Because, I mean, everybody's been talking about what Haman's going to be doing, for, or what he had intended to do for a year. Well, we don't, want to, we don't want to give him place for glory. We don't want to give the enemy place for glory. And so... Uh, the Jews committed to keeping the writing according to the appointed time every year now, something that they do. Uh, they, they, don't want, they want to remember the right things. They want to remember what God did, not what Haman did. And so these days were remembered in every generation, in every family, in every province, and in every city. So it's a celebration that covers everything. Um, and additionally, they committed this feast would not fail, and the memorial of the feast of all that God had done would not perish. And that's an important part. In fact, let's look at uh, 24, and we'll read down through towards the end of the chapter. It says, Because Haman, the son of uh, Hamadatha the Agite, the enemy of all the Jews, had devised against the Jews to destroy them, and had cast pure, that is, the lot, to consume them, to destroy them. But when Esther came before the king, he commanded by letters that his wicked device, which he devised against the Jews, should return upon his own head, and that he and his son should be hanged on the gallows. Wherefore, they called these days Purim after the house, after the name of Pure. Therefore, for all the words in this, of this letter and and of that which they had seen concerning this matter and which had come unto them, 
the Jews ordained and took upon them and upon their seed and upon all such that joined themselves unto them, so as it should not fail that they would keep these two days according to their writing and according to their appointed time every year, and that these days should be remembered and kept throughout every generation, every family, every province, every city, and that these days of Purim should not fail from among the Jews nor the memorial of them perish from their seed. Then Esther the queen, the daughter of Abihail and Mordecai the Jew wrote with all authority to confirm this second letter of of Purim and he sent the letters into all the Jews to 120 and 7 provinces of the kingdom of Ahasuerus which words of peace and with words of peace and truth to confirm those days of Purim in their times appointed according to Mordecai and the Jew Mordecai the Jew and Esther the queen had enjoined them and all as they had decreed for themselves and for their seed the matters of fastings and their cry. And the decree of Esther confirmed these matters of Purim, and it was written in the book. Okay, so a lot, lot written there, but um, you know, be, be, because of the effort of Haman, uh, the, both Esther and Mordecai wanted to ensure the remembrance would not go to honor him. And so um, these days, these this days of Purim would be remembered in every generation, and they committed the feast would not fail, and they committed that the memorial would not fail. So, um, God does not work wonders for a day. This is the this is the memorial part. God does not work wonders for a day. God works wonders forever. You know, when you think about what that what that means here. Um, God does, he, he doesn't just do something for one day. He does it so that there's an everlasting remembrance of what God is doing. In Genesis chapter 9 and verse 16, you know, uh, talking about the flood of Noah during that passage there. And the bow shall be in the cloud, and it shall, and I will look upon it, that I may remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh is upon the earth. And he also said in Psalm chapter 112 verse 6, the righteous shall be in everlasting remembrance. So we we should always remember what God is doing. We should never forget what God is doing. That's the memorial part. You know, memorial, memory. Keep it in mind. Keep it held fast about what God is doing. So what He does, what God does, He does forever. And their sheriffs will always be in forever in our minds. Ecclesiastes 3.14 says, I know that whatsoever God doeth, it shall be forever. Nothing can be put in Nothing can be put to it, nor anything taken from it, and God doeth it, that men should fear before Him. That's why we remember things. That's why we should remember things. So we celebrate the feast, but we also celebrate the memorial. So in Purim, uh, this feast, they would remember several several things. They, this is what they would celebrate, as far as the several things that was going on. <clears throat> now, they didn't give Haman honor, but they did remember his, his evil practices against them. This is why we're celebrating, because there was evil against us. Esther's desire to rescue her people. That's another reason that, that they remember and have the memorial. To remember what Esther did. They remember the good deeds done for Israel by God. Because those things ought to be remembered as well. Because God will not forget them, and neither we, we must not forget what God is doing either. And the matters of their fastings and of their crying... You know, why were they sad? Why, what was going on? So all of these kind of things, we have a memorial for that. So while Purim has no direct connection to the New Testament church, there's nothing in the New Testament church that says, okay, that's, this is Purim. But there are things that we do that should be memorials, right? Lord's Supper? Baptism? Baptism? Salvation Day? The day we got saved? We should never forget that. I mean, you're not just saved for one day. You're saved for every, you know, the rest of your life. 
And so, what if we fail to set a memorial, though? What happens if we fail to set the memorial of what God is doing in the, in the victories that God is bringing in our life? Our focus will be wrong in the wrong direction. If we don't memorialize what God is doing, we'll be thinking about the bad instead of the good. That's where we put our focus. Is well, this is a bad thing. I mean, this is terrible. I, this is a thir- the number thirteen deal for my life, and this is horrible. I'm just going to remember number thirteen. But that's not what God wants us to do. God wants us to remember that He that you were in number thirteen whatever circumstances was, and He brought you out in victory, and that's what you remember. And that's what you declare. Philippians 3.13 I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, and reaching forth unto those which are before. That's where Paul lived. He lived in reaching forward to the next victory that God brought in his life. And that's what we should do. So the second reason, or the second thing that if we fail the memorial, is our feelings will be in the wrong direction, looking at depression, grief, bitterness, anger, hatred, all of that stuff. God wants to turn our sorrow into joy. But we don't let Him sometimes. We resist that. Because we want to remember the bad. And I don't know why we are like that. Human beings are just like that. We just want to wallow around in the bad. And we don't, you know, we want to, we, we should desire to give God credit for everything. Uh, the third reason, or the third thing that would happen is our forgiveness will be lacking because we'll be keep bringing it up in our minds and we won't forgive. If the good things happen, we should just remember them. I mean, just let it go. There's no reason to dwell on, on negativity and, and things that are bad. Yeah, some things happen, and maybe we learn a lesson about how to, how to respond when that situation comes back up again. But that's part of the memorial, because how did we get out of that position? Through God. Do we give God credit, and He'll get us out of the next position. And lastly, our former lessons would be forgotten. We don't, we don't want to forget what God is doing in our life. It's so easy to forget what God is doing when we don't pay attention to what we see. And then we get into chapter 10, three verses, real simple, um, recognizing leadership. The king assessed a tax. I don't know why. He just maybe he wanted to replace the money that Haman was supposed to pay him. I don't know. But he assessed a tax. Uh, Mordecai recognized all as well at the next highest... Um, as he's recognized as the next highest in the land and great among the Jews, he had influence where it counted. And Mordecai worked to improve the lives and to speak. And he spoke peace at all times. That's what we should do. We should always be speaking peace. So that's a real simple chapter. Not a whole lot there really to dig into. So, so where does that leave you? This study now. We finished Ezra. Uh, we've been talking about being where God wants you to be. So here's the thing. That, take this. Be in victory, not defeat. Be in victory. Now, I, that, that, that means something different to every single person. But be in victory. Uh, what, what is it going to take for you to live in victory and not in defeat, not in, not in rebelliousness, not in, not in negativity, not in poor circumstances? Just be in victory. Seek to identify in your life where you can live in the providence and the purpose of God so that He gets the victory, you get the, you get the, uh, the benefit of that victory, and you can share that with the rest of the world. Because that is partly what we're supposed to do. Share our victories with others so that they can have victory as well. And give prayer to the lessons that we've learned. Um, take this um, and, and use it to your honor and your glory in some way, so that God gets honor and glory in your life. And so that is the book of Esther. Um, So let's pray and we'll be done.
Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for your son Jesus Christ. Thank you for this this whole story, Lord. Everything that we've looked at, there's a lot here, uh, and there's just a lot going on. I know, I know, the name of God uh, is not here, but but certainly the hand of God is present in every chapter. And, and we just thank you for showing it to us. And we pray, Father, now that you would guide us, direct us, help us to be always seeking victory uh, in things that go on in our life. And no matter what it is, there's a victory waiting to be uh, identified and pronounced and shared with others. And I pray that all of us would be able to do that. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.